Welcome, my friends and colleagues, to another exciting episode of the I Give a Damn podcast, made possible by Florescine Media, the company behind ODs on Facebook. Today's episode is brought to you by Bosch & Loam and the new Infuse Multifocal. If you are not super familiar with the Infuse line of contact lenses, they are designed to minimize dryness with contact lenses by utilizing what is called a ProBalance technology, which is quite fascinating. If you haven't read into it yourself, I strongly suggest you do. But the new Infuse Multifocal also includes their three-zone progressive design, which helps deliver excellent vision at near and intermediate with out compromising distance vision. I even recently just had a patient fit with these in the clinic the other week, and she found not only could she see her phone easily, but she could easily still see the 2020 line on the distance chart. Plus, she also had excellent experience with comfort as these lenses have a low modulus and a high moisture content, and I felt good because I know these lenses have a high oxygen transmissibility as well. In addition to this just being a quick and easy fit there in the clinic, I also like that they come in a 10-pack trial, as a lot of times, because our clinic is just really busy, we don't always have the availability for our patients to come back within like five days. If you want to learn more about the new Infuse Multifocal Contact Lens and its availability, then I urge you contact your local Bosch & Lohm representative. Otherwise, thanks again to Bosch & Lohm for sponsoring this episode. Today, we have the honor of sitting down with a remarkable individual whose journey is nothing short of extraordinary. Dr. Melissa Trago, OD, PhD, is joining us to share her inspiring story and insights into the world of optometry, as she's not just an optometrist, but also holds a PhD in cellular and molecular biology, as well as being the dean of the Pennsylvania College of Optometry at Salis University. In this episode, we'll unravel Dr. Trago's journey to becoming the clinician, educator, and administrator that she is today. She also discusses her role as a leader in ASCO, the Association of School and Colleges of Optometry, and explores some of the challenges the world of academic optometry faces today and moving forward. But that's not all. Our conversation will also illuminate the expansive breadth of optometry as a profession overall. From clinical practice to research, education, and beyond, we'll uncover the amazing opportunities that this field offers. So without further ado, let's dive into this engaging conversation with a true leader in the world of optometry, Dr. Melissa Trago. Melissa, thank you so much for being here, joining us on the podcast. Uh, I know you have a very interesting, different kind of career path than a lot of other like optometric professionals. You, um, I, I don't want to take your, your thunder away, so I'm going to ask you, if you can, for our, our listeners, our viewers on YouTube who don't know you or know your complete history, would you please introduce us to just uh, kind of how you got into optometry mm -hmm. and kind of some of the twists and turns in your career and where you're at today. Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this. Uh, so I grew up in a, a small town in central Pennsylvania. It's called Sunbury. It's right along the Susquehanna River. Mm -hmm. And so the Susquehanna River literally runs in front of my parents' house. Um, small town, good people, hardworking people. My grandfather was a diabetic. Mm. And uh, my grandparents were really pivotal in raising me as a kid. I loved them. They're, they're still a fabulous influence on my life. And my grandfather was a diabetic, and um, I would be responsible for taking them to their appointments, mm. my, both my grandparents. And my grandfather was, um, didn't really have a lot of, um, 
I would say a lot of activities as he got a little bit older. But the one thing he enjoyed was reading his Bible. And I remember taking him to his ophthalmologist, and I remember him specifically saying, look, there's nothing I can do for you. Your vision's getting worse. I went to see my optometrist at the time, who his name was John Shumay, and he was a PCO grad. Mm -hmm. And he said, bring him in, brought him in, gave my grandfather devices to help him to read his Bible. And it was that activity that made me say, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like, here is, a, here is a small thing that has created an impact on my grandfather's life. And I was like, that's it. I was a biochem major at Susquehanna University. I had most of the prereqs, you know, to, to do this. Uh, applied to PCO, because that's where Dr. Shumay went. And I was like, this is it. That's what I'm doing. So that was it. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. I. I loved. Uh, I loved my time at PCO. I mean, obviously, I you know ended up uh, then as the dean, which I mm -hmm. probably never in a million years expected it. But um, yeah, it was the one of the best decisions I've ever made. And I thank you for sharing that. I know many eye doctors. I think usually it's it's not just oh I was you know born into a family of ODs or anything like that. I think that functional impact yep. that the fact that you change someone's life so dramatically and you experience that by, by watching what your yep. your loved one your grandfather went through. Uh, and it's you kind of a uh, uh, elucidated to the fact that you're now the dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's... Wow, we, huh? Yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting thing. And, and again, quite an honor for myself. <laughs> um, how... So first, again, you... Went and got a PhD. I did. You I did, did research. I did. And, I did. And that was in cellular molecular biology? Yeah. So, you know, I was a, I, as a biochem major, I uh, did a lot of research in undergrad. Um, I had a, a great mentor and, um, you know, I always loved the additional question asking. Mm -hmm. And I, I went to optometry school, loved obviously seeing patients. And there were two individuals at PCO, Felix Barker and Perrette Dehal Barker, who recognized that I had a bit of an interest. Mm -hmm. At the time, PCO was kind of trying to start a program with Cardiff University, which was over in Wales in the United Kingdom. Um, they needed a guinea pig, and I uh, was raised my hand, and uh, I ended up going over there after graduating. I graduated in 2004. Um, literally, literally landed with two suitcases, and that was it. I uh, <laughs> didn't know anyone. Um, I sometimes think about it, and I think it's crazy. But again, another great, awesome, you know, choice I made yeah. to just give it, give it a go, yeah. and see what happens. It takes courage to yep. jump into the deep end of the pool like that, and and, and not know what's going to happen. Um, it, those are always some of the best decisions, actually, when when you just kind of don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so, um, my PhD is in cell and molecular bio, and what I looked at were alpha crystallins, right? Crystallins primarily make up the lens. They're those great proteins that allow the lens to function and be transparent for the lifetime primarily. Um, and we always thought that crystallins were just found in the lens, but they're also found in other post-mitotic tissues. Um, also found in the retina, RPE, cardiac tissue, and they act um, as molecular chaperones. Mm. So my work focused on what was the role specifically of alpha-A or alpha-B crystalline in the retina and the retinal pigment epithelium and the role that they played as molecular chaperones, sure. right? And so I was able to um, look at things from kind of an in vitro, you know, cell culture level and then moved it into more animal models where I actually utilized 
mice that didn't have the alpha A crystalline hmm. protein or the alpha B crystalline protein. And, you know, pretty much in a nutshell, we found that, you know, alpha A really serves as, you know, its role as a molecular chaperone and it's kind of upregulated in times of stress. So, um, yeah. That was it was a completely different path. Uh, I love the sciences going to get a PhD was, you know, uh, you know, I just was talking about this to someone as a clinician, there's a flow of uh, information, right? Patient comes in, they have certain symptoms, Mm -hmm. you start thinking um, and clarifying those symptoms, right? You start creating a list of differentials, you gain your data, and then you start, okay, well, it could be this condition, and this is how I would treat or manage it. Mm. When I was doing the PhD, I felt like I had uh, opened up another part of my brain, right? Because you didn't know the answers, and you had to think in a different way. And so I've always said that being an optometrist made me a better researcher, but being a researcher made me a better optometrist you know because now there's different questions that i'm asking so it was a little bit different so i you know graduated from optometry school went ahead and did a a phd came back to the u.s and um did a residency because i wanted to get a residency in and uh started as a faculty member at pco and then kismet i guess what fate destiny there i i ended up (laughs) as uh dean of pco and how long have you been dean now um i was interim dean from 2016 to 2017 Mm -hmm. and they made it official in 2017 so i would say i've I've kind of had the responsibilities for seven years um but i really officially officially. about six well congratulations on, on all of that success thanks uh and obviously producing amazing students and graduates since then uh and uh, what's it been like i'm curious because I, I i've never been a dean i haven't I'm, I'm an adjunct clinical professor but uh i what's it been like being a dean of a school how how did that change um or when when, when you even kind of offered that position what kind of thoughts went through your head of like i'm gonna be running this school you know you know to be honest with you i i think for me uh from a personal and professional standpoint there's something that comes with this title of dean that i never would see in myself you know like i always thought that i was me (laughs) and i thought that people would still see me for me but there's something about having that title where it it can really be quite isolating Mm. um I, I view my role as the dean as uh, a responsibility to make sure that the students and the faculty have what they need to be successful, whatever that means. And um, you know, when you're the dean, there are these all of these moving pieces and things come across your desk every day and you do your best to make the best decisions that you can. Right. But when you follow your heart and your moral compass and you're trying to do um, the right thing, um, and you hope you're doing the right thing, um, then, it, then it's okay. You know, yeah. I mean, for, for me, I think optometric education, for those listening, I think optometric education is one of the best fields to go into, <laughs> right? I mean, I love seeing patients. I still see patients a day a week. I still teach the students. But when you go into education, you have the ability to influence the next generation of optometrists and how they're going to practice and how they're going to treat their patients. That, to me, is really remarkable. 
It is. I yeah. think just giving back in that sense. And yeah. uh, every professor I've ever spoken to, anybody in academia I've talked to, they all say the same thing. They all say how rewarding it is yep. uh, that they that they don't regret making those decisions and how much they learn from having to teach and, and just from, from that experience. That's one of the reasons why I like seeing students in, in our clinic because it pushes me. They ask me a question. It's yeah. like, yeah, I need to brush up on that. Yeah. And let's do on it. Let's do it together. You go study it. I'll go study it. We'll meet up on Thursday and <laughs> figure it out. They also keep you humble because I think that sometimes when you're familiar with something and you, you know something so well mm -hmm. um, or you think you know it so well and you're explaining it and then they ask you, I mean, they, it still happens even when I'm teaching the students now. Um, I teach them in Oc anatomy and physiology. They'll ask a question and I'll think, oh my gosh, I, I, I never thought about it in that way. So I think the interactions with students help me to be a better educator, you know, because yeah. they really keep me humble and grounded um, and being like, okay, just because I may understand something a certain way, I always have to remember kind of the perspective of the student. Yeah. I also want to just comment on the the observation I had, the way you were describing making sure that everybody in the school, that the faculty and the students have all the resources they yeah. need to really be successful, the most successful selves. And I see that as your role is like a leader, like you're, you're leading the school down this path to success, but really at the same time, you're a servant. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You're serving them. Yeah, it is definitely uh, a position of service, and and you don't. I always will say, uh, people that think you're you're going into administration in the dean's position. I'll speak for myself at at PCO. Uh, people think, oh, you have have so much control. You have no control. <laughs> uh, that's false. Um, but I think. Um, that it truly is uh, an act of service. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have to really always keep in mind that everybody sometimes has a bad day. And, um, <laughs> that's, that's you know, good, I love that. Som that's... Sometimes people um, will really say some crazy things to me. And it's great that I have a good sense of humor, right? I've got a great sense of humor. I usually don't get like bent out of shape about. Yeah hardly anything you're, to you're be flexible. honest pretty flexible um and it you know it just is a really good reminder that everyone's always fighting a battle um including myself yeah. and just kind of keeping those things in perspective you know um when i first took this position i um was seeing i had gone i started seeing a psychologist because it was a lot for me to balance and i wanted to make sure i was trying to take care of my emotional and mental health and and i remember her telling me you always have to remember that when you walk into a room you're really dealing with an eight-year-old version of whoever you're interacting with and what however things were as a kid or whatever insecurities or things that you uh, held on to as a kid sometimes they'll come out so like if you're going into a meeting of eight people you're dealing with nine nine different <laughs> aspects you know and so. and that always was really helpful for me you ever see that um it was a it's a it's a gummy bear commercial where they're like oh i like the yellow ones oh, yeah, you ever yeah, see that one yeah I, I that's they, like a perfect like the, example like they're like these, the kids voices yeah, and they're yeah, fighting exactly. over it yep they've got this like these kids voices and they're just like i like the green ones yep. you know and, and it's kind of going back to that so um yeah there I, I imagine your psychologist uh, may be familiar with ifs or internal family systems yes so yes that's uh i and i thank you for being um 
just open, honest that you saw it. Sure. To that sort of thing. I think that's actually something very mature, and a lot of professionals really do need if they don't yep. see seek therapy, counseling, something along those lines. Uh, I've seen therapists for years, and IFS is something I've tried and um, has really been impactful for me yep. in kind of uncovering like, oh yeah, in that scenario yep. that you know, eight-year-old self of mine, that's why I'm feeling and responding this way. And just having that emotional intelligence is, I think, is extremely valuable. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I often say that's not something I've ever been kind of ashamed of or embarrassed, and, and no one should be. I, I think you should be more concerned about those who, who it's not those that seek out help and 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 wanting to to learn more about themselves it's and it's painful sometimes kind of kind of uncovering a lot of stuff but it it allows you to go into situations with your eyes open mm-hmm. um and you can't you can't go wrong with that and i think also just understanding other people yep because once you kind of understand more of yourself you're like oh okay <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's good and it, you know it 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 it, it's not the easiest. Um, I think the, the human interaction aspect is always sometimes a little bit challenging, but um, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Right. So. Now, you not only have invested time in your career and, and developing and working as a dean, but you also are now the, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the past, past director. Past president, past president of ASCO. Go, yep, of the ASCO. Association of Schools and Colleges of Optometry. I, I, I just passed the gavel over to Dr. Mark Collop, who is the president at the Illinois College of Optometry. Yeah. Fabulous friend and colleague. Um, and so, yes, this past year I, I had the pleasure of serving as the, the president of uh, ASCO. And um, what a wonderful group of, of colleagues and deans and presidents doing amazing things in optometric mm-hmm. education. Wonderful uh, staff um, through ASCO and a great uh, CEO VP, Don Mancuso. Mm-hmm. Um, ASCO's doing amazing things. Um, a lot of great diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, really working on the applicant pool. Um, and, and all of us coming together for the greater good is to make sure mm-hmm. we are getting the best applicants uh, to create great clinicians, also making sure the applicants uh, are diverse and it's a robust Mm -hmm. applicant pool um, so we can make sure that we start getting good representation um, in the field of optometry as well. And that's kind of the questions I had was because, you know, my only experience with ASCO was being an applicant yep. and being like, okay, I need to get into optometry school. What do I have to do? Oh, there's this website. Or at the time, it's like, it just kind of was the the basics of yep. like, here's how you apply. And and I, yeah, you have to realize it's a whole organization. It's like, a it's a great moving organization that does amazing things every year. We just got off the tails of a really generous grant from Johnson and Johnson Vision, who helped us with a called an Eyes on Diversity mm. series. Um, great resources, uh, great cultural competency workshop book, all of that toolkit. Um, and you know, ASCO has. This was something actually that that the president call up just pointed out. Um, ASCO's really been working on these efforts for years. You know, one of the the first times one of these um, uh, workshop pamphlets came out was in two thousand eight. So ASCO's been ahead of the curve, um, which is which has been great. So that. That role for me um, was not only uh, an honor and very humbling, um, but it, it was a really great way to connect with my peers um, to, to sometimes when you feel isolated in this role, 
um, they were great at, you know, kind of being a great sounding board and, right. and friends and colleagues. It would have been interesting to hear how conversations go about in that type of organization, in that setting, just because it's like you're steering a ship of like in many ways the in some ways the future of of how optometry is performed here and education is performed here in the u.s right and so just again seeing it from a top-down tabletop sort of view i i can't imagine like yeah the difficulties or challenges or hard decisions you guys sometimes have to decide yeah i i think that's that's one part of it you know i think the other reality is that in in you know many ways we're also a team of of rivals as is one mm. of the board members ha- has really nicely pointed out you know cuz we are we are still competing for the best applicants oh, sure. right but we all really want the same and and what i find amazing about asco is that we we do come together and we do um, discuss things for the greater good for optometric mm-hmm. education and and that has just been really great to witness and see and be a part of right. so um, you know I will always look back uh, on ASCO as one of the the highlights of my career because the, the and, and primarily because of the people Right. Um, they've been they've been great, great mentors, great discussions, all of the above. If you don't mind just giving a little bit of an insight, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I'm curious because the way aca- um, all academics are changing, the profession is changing, the way um, just healthcare is changing. Is there major concerns about people's interest in optometry? Are our applicants is there a worry that we're losing applicants that we're not getting enough that there's you know people just not interested in getting into optometry um are are there just the qual is is like entered scores a concern you know i think the biggest problem we found um is that too many people are unaware of of the depth and breadth of optometry I think there's also a lot of kind of misconceptions about it and, you know, some um, areas that that people people and to be fair, even myself, when I first started optometry school, I don't think I realized the full scope. Did yeah. you? No, no, not at all. you didn't. I mean, you, you were interested. <laughs> you started learning, but you didn't realize the the you know what is absolutely possible. So I think we realize that, and there's such a great need mm-hmm. um, for optometrists. And so the campaign of ASCO, which um, is our number one priority, which is Optometry Gives Me Life, really mm-hmm. is geared to target students interested in the STEM programs yeah. about telling them about optometry, just getting them aware of it. Because, you know, there are so many great opportunities. It's a great profession. We know that. And there's always this immediate assumption that if someone wants to become a healthcare professional, they usually just go into medicine. But there's all of these other great opportunities. So one of the goals of OGML is not only to increase that applicant pool, Mm -hmm. to increase the diversity and also increase the quality. We want good, diverse, nice amount of candidates to come in. but more importantly, we want to talk to them about it. And still, one of the best ways 
that we know about the profession that I know, and and I'm, I'm maybe you, is from another optometrist, oh, right? For sure. What we do, I mean, we are still the best way to kind of get people to know about you know, the profession and talk to them about it. So if you have a a, a younger patient and you start talking to them, what do you want to do? This is a great profession. What do you think? Um, You can, you can easily sell it because it's something that is, for me, it's easy to sell because that's how passionate I am about (laughs) it. it. I I love it. I love it. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. Some of the issues does stem from the fact that just the general public. Yep. And and yep. and I hate to say it, but it's definitely our own faults. But the general public doesn't yes. understand who we are, what we do, what our services and specialties are, uh, and that is reflected in just even our young our, our students yep. uh, going through school. What what really it all involves yeah. uh, the the breadth of our profession. I think you know to that point, uh, a lot of times when students come into school, and I'm, I'm not sure how it was for you at at, at RSO, but you know, as our students come in, they have all of this detailed basic science foundational Mm -hmm. courses. And they're like, why do I have to know all of this, right? And then something switches. For us, our students get into clinic. I mean, they get into clinic to observe, you know, throughout the first year and so, but in their spring of their second year, they're in clinic, seeing patients start to finish. Something clicks then, because then they're like, oh, wait a minute, now I understand, because all of these things are interconnected. Mm -hmm. So um, I think sometimes until you really get boots on the ground, you're seeing it, you're doing it, you're having a real live person sitting in your chair you don't realize, wow, I do really need to know, right. like the course of this particular cranial nerve. And yep. uh, yeah. I had a, a almost a romantic moment in my education where I recognized the good, the I should say good, the amazing foundation I had of understanding uh, regular uh, anatomy, ocular anatomy, neuroanatomy, physiology, and then you're adding in pathology yep then you're adding in pharmacology and i recognized oh this pharma education i'm getting only really makes sense because i know the anatomy because i know where the receptors are and because i know the physiology Mm -hmm. i know how i don't need to memorize this random medication of what it does i know what parts of the body it affects and how it all relates to each other and same thing with the path it's like an application moment right powerful super powerful and so i think that was one of the moments where i really was just like i love this i could be a student the rest of my life yeah and we all are yeah We, we we really are and um but it's it's it is it is in a very in-depth field. It is. And you know what the beauty of it is? Is you can make it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I always love describing optometry as choosing your own adventure. <laughs> I, I, I do. I really do. Because, you know, I, I always knew when I was in school, uh, and I don't know what it was, I always knew that I wasn't going to go into private practice. You know, now that I'm out, I'm like, you know, maybe I could do it. But in school, I was like, oh, my God, I, I would, you know, people would come in. If they wouldn't be able to pay for their exam, I'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. Well, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't survive that way. Yeah. But, you know, you have the ability to, to specialize if you want to mm. specialize or, you know, work at a hospital or work two or three days a week or work from home and do a telehealth exams or go into education like the opportunities are endless, and and I think you're able to have a, a job that allows you to provide comfortably for you and your family, right. 
and you know it to me it's it's a no-brainer it it you know i could speak about it all the time now i i'm mentally picturing maybe for young ods or people looking into into optometry maybe we should have a choose your own adventure yeah. like book or game where it's like you can get at least an insight from a real other doc who took the travel of uh, yep. of academics or or took the the path of private practice or specializing in whether it be vision rehabilitation or sports vision or contact lenses or did residency or not because it, yep. it would maybe give you that little bit understanding because you can't you can't do it all unfortunately. you can't do it all but you can also go back like let's say i i'm done with being a dean and i was like you know i'm gonna go into practice mm-hmm. i can do that right let's say i you know am in private practice and then I'm done and I want to go into industry. I mean, you know, there are so many opportunities. And I think one of the things I like to tell students is, you know, at the end of the day, you're learning a skill. And you know what that skill is? That skill is to help people see better, right? That skill is to protect the very sense that people fear, one of the very senses that people fear losing most. That's powerful, right? That's really powerful. And that's a really rewarding career, mm-hmm. right? You know, people usually like going to an optometrist. I loved going to see John Schumay. He was fabulous. <laughs> I loved it. You know, we had great conversations. And he impacted this this field for me, not mm-hmm. just when I would get eye exams for him, but you know, when he when he helped my grandfather. I mean, yeah. that that doesn't go away. And I would say that there's a reason I'm not a dentist, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many people are like, can't wait? Yeah, right. Yeah. I know, um, I, I'm just curious, and I always love asking everybody this. Like you mentioned, you could, if you wanted to, just go, you could finish being in academia, go and starting yeah. your own private practice. What is kind of next for you? What are you excited about, whether it be about our profession or um, for schools, or, or what's, what's next? I think... Um, What always fascinates me, um, certainly in this profession, is the technology, Mm. right? So I attended a a conference on artificial intelligence uh, a month or two ago and, you know, machine learning. And, you know, I always often wonder, you know, what will the role of optometrists be even in the next 10 years? You know, there is a lot of technology out there that is coming faster than we even realize, right? Right, 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 coming at a, at a lightning speed, you know, and will we become, you know, less data gatherers and more data analyzers? And will the requirements coming in be different? You know, maybe we need to really, you know, to deliver to someone you can no longer drive or your vision has gotten worse or, you know, you, that that's, that really impacts someone because it really can affect their ability to be independent. Sure. So do we look at different ways of um, skills that students are coming in with? I think, you know, more and more students are very comfortable behind devices, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's started kind of with, you know, the, the phone being our one-stop shop. And then I think the pandemic kind of accelerated that a little bit. And so there is, there is magic in creating that connection with someone and making sure students feel comfortable with that. And, you know, reading a test result is different than having someone sit down and go through it with you. So 
I view the future of optometry to be exciting, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, maybe, you know, how we manage our patients and, and the tools that we have will only get better, which I think will be helpful. Um, so next steps for me, I, you know, we have... A lot of changes happening at PCO and, and Salus in the next couple of years. So uh, my goal would be hopefully to get us safely through some of those changes, and then I'll see what happens. I'm, you know, I would be completely fine going back um, and being a faculty member yeah. and and you know working with students and being in clinic. Uh, I've always had a lot of respect for the federally qualified health centers. Um, they do a great service and. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm always open. I'm always open. I'm always open for something new and different, and never afraid to be a little risky. Um, Clearly, yeah. You yeah, decide, no. you know, just going to go get a PhD. Yeah, and go across the ocean, across pop the on ocean over, and yeah, figure that out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, no matter what you do, clearly you're you're ex one of the most passionate people about our profession. Clearly, it radiates from you. Um, so you're, obviously, you're going to find success and happiness. And I I feel more comfortable and confident about the future of our profession yeah. because you are a leader in it. Listen, so. <laughs> don't you worry. We've got great leaders in optometric education. We've got good students coming in. Optometry is going to be okay. It's uh, it's going to be okay, <laughs> and um, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Well, thank you again so much for being here. Of course, I uh, loved it. Thank you for asking me. I'm really, really touched and honored to 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 just chat with you. Um, it's it's been great. And I look forward to uh, hopefully uh, meeting you again, seeing you at more meetings, and uh, maybe we'll be able to get you on as another guest sometime. Hey, I'll be here anytime. <laughs> thank you. All right, you're welcome. So that was our conversation for today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are enjoying this type of content, please do yourself a favor and follow us either on your favorite streaming service or subscribe to our channel over on YouTube because that will go ahead and remind you whenever our next episode is coming out. And if you're somebody who is finding a lot of value in this content and also gives a damn about your profession of optometry, then please do us a solid favor by leaving us a review on whatever streaming service you are using. That will greatly help us out and help more professionals find this content. Otherwise, again, thank you for listening in, and I hope you have a fantastic day. We'll see you soon.